As Advent draws to a close, we gather to give thanks for God's gracious gift. God in flesh comes as the image of the invisible Father. After years of unfulfilled dream, dreams, loss and pain, oppression and opposition, Israel hears God's repeated promise of love. Like us, they struggle to see love and to feel loved. But they cling to the promise of God, that when he comes, they will experience what it means to be beloved children of God. The coming of the Christ child will be the coming of love. On this fourth Sunday of Advent, we light this candle declaring with God's people through the ages that God so loved the world that he sent his son. Let us pray. Dear God, on this fourth Sunday of Advent, let this light shine brightly as the days grow short. So that we will be ready for your face to shine upon us at Christmas. In Savior's name we pray, amen.
Amen. It's so great to see you as we gather for worship today on this fourth Sunday of Advent. Before you're seated, share a word of greeting, a word of peace with others who are here in worship today. If you have any room in your row and you can squeeze in a little bit, there's still a few people coming in, that would be helpful, and uh, so it's easier for folks to get to the outside of the aisles. Just a couple of things to uh, remind you about. Uh, tonight at 5 o'clock, we'll gather back here for our annual carol sing. Uh, we're just an opportunity to sing your favorite Christmas carols. Uh, we'll have music available for the carols that are not necessarily in our hymnal. Uh, at least some of those, but we'll we'll sing together, and then afterwards we'll have a time of uh, cookies and things in the community room. Uh, so we hope you can come tonight. It's a it's a fun time together to uh, to sing the carols of Christ's birth. Uh, Saturday night uh, is Chris, Saturday's Christmas Eve, and we have two services at night at five and at seven. Uh, the five o'clock service has a time for children. Uh, both of the services uh, we'll read the scriptures. Uh, of Christ's birth and the prophecies and sing the carols and songs and light candles. And so we invite you to be a part of one or both of those services. And then next Sunday, Christmas Day, what a great time to come together for worship. And we'll be meeting at 10 o'clock next Sunday uh, for worship. And uh, if you're here, we hope that uh, you'll be able to join us for that time together. Good morning. Obviously, I'm not Zach or Aaron. Unfortunately, Zach and Aaron are stuck in Albuquerque because of the weather. So um, they're due in Houghton about between 2 and 3 a.m. Monday morning. So I'm the stand-in. I'm Zach's mom, Lori Smalley. And I would like to just share what Zach would have shared if he was here. Um, Zach and Aaron are the program directors, um, and Aaron is the wrangler at Crossbar X Youth Ranch in Durango, Colorado. They're full-time missionaries. They raise support to be able to minister to the children that come through their program, and our church sponsors them and supports them annually, um, as well as individuals from the church, for which we and they are very grateful. So what is Crossbar X Youth Ranch? It is a place of ministry for socially and economically disadvantaged youth. Most of the kids come from low-income foster families, refugee settlements, living with single moms or relatives. And Zach and Aaron run a summer camp ministry for those age 8 through 18. They split the camps up by age during the summer and then again by gender once they reach middle school. They focus on sharing the gospel with their campers, through fun activities. Crossbar X has the largest ropes course in the whole state of Colorado, which is right in their backyard. It's pretty awesome. They've got beautiful horses. They have archery and um, gun and swimming and canoeing and fishing, crafts. They can hike and backpack in their backyard, which is um, at the foot of the Rocky Mountains. 
What makes Crossbar X unique? Well, they are committed to have small camp sizes, so there's no more than 25 kids per session. And with every four to five kids, there's a trained counselor. So that gives them an opportunity to have very intentional personal relationships that they build with each camper. And then they do something else unique, and that is they follow up with the campers during the year. So that means they go and travel to their homes, wherever that might be. It could be um, a refugee settlement or a foster home. And their goal is that everything they do will point to Christ. They have many opportunities, obviously, to share the gospel, and they've had some pretty amazing stories. If you're at all interested in receiving their their newsletter, um, they share some of those stories on a quarterly basis in their newsletter. Zach and Aaron have an adorable little baby. Well, now he's nine months old. His name is Peter. This picture's a little bit old, um, and this grandma can't wait to get her hands on that baby, so I'm pretty excited that they're going to be with us for Christmas this year. Um, Zach also has the new responsibility of directing the uh, Colorado Outdoor Learning School, which is a place where they can use the facilities at the ranch during the school year for um, public school children to bring them in and teach them about God's creation. They're always looking for new people to join their support team, and if you have any questions about that, you can look them up online at um, crossbarx, just C-R-O-S-S-B-A-R-X dot org. Uh, They had a great summer and fall season this past year. They had 165 children come through, and 12 of them committed their lives to Christ this summer. They would like me to thank you for their support. It means so much for them to, um, to have the Houghton Church and community members support them, especially since we don't really have very many connections in the West. So their support comes from here. And they're so thankful for the prayers and the love and just the wonderful encouragement they receive from our family here. They would like you to keep them in their prayers as they prepare for summer 2017. They're in the process of recruiting counselors. And they also are learning more about what it means to balance family and work. And Lord willing, they'll be here soon and be able to worship with us on Christmas Eve, and they would love to see as many of you as possible on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you, Lori. Uh, one of the uh, parts of, the, of being a church family is how we uh, support uh, the work of God in a variety of places, uh, like Colorado and the, the ranch, the ministry there. Uh, but also um, supporting uh, our ministry here. And one of the ways we do that is as we dedicate our children to God, we uh, embrace them and encourage them. So we have the opportunity to do that again now. Dan and Jess, God has blessed you with this little one, and today you come to dedicate God's gift back to him. You're here today because of your own faith in Jesus Christ, and in this public act of of dedication, you're declaring your desire that he would be raised in the love and grace of God within the nurturing spirit of the church. And in this act, you're welcoming the prayers and the support of the church and declaring your desire that he would early learn to know and follow the will of God that his life would be defined by a lifelong commitment to follow God, 
to the very end of his life that he might live in the joy of Christ now and forever. But in order that this may be accomplished, it will be your duty as parents to teach your child early the fear of the Lord, to watch over his education, that he may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines, to direct his mind to the Holy Scriptures as expressing the will and authority of God for all humanity, and to direct his feet to the sanctuary, to restrain him from evil associates and habits, and as much as possible to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so by the help of the Lord? If so, answer, we will. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, we read these words. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. What name have you given your child? Upton Charles Wardinger, on behalf of your parents, your family, and this congregation, I dedicate you to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As uh, we talk about every time we dedicate our children to God, this is uh, for the fulfillment of a threefold covenant that takes place around this little one. God is the, the base of this triangle-looking covenant. And uh, his, we know he is at work in Upton's life and will always care for him and draw him to himself. Dan and Jess have made their commitment to do everything in their power through the grace of God to surround him as one side of that triangle and to help him know God's love in his life. But we also have a responsibility as the church to represent the God to him and to teach him and to uh, be a godly witness to him. And so I'm going to ask you to stand and to affirm your commitment to Upton and to this family. Hey, sweetie, it's okay. Yeah, you're okay. As the church of Jesus Christ, will you, with the help of God, do everything possible to help Upton grow in the nurture and grace of Jesus Christ? Will you love him? Will you be a godly witness to him? And will you help him to know and accept the grace of God in his life? If so, answer, we will. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for Upton, for his life, for blessing his family and us and this world with uh, his presence. We pray, Father, that he will always know how much you love him to the very depths of his being. We pray, Father, that his heart will be turned to you because he knows how much you care for him and love him, that he would love you. And I pray, Father, that his life would be defined by his desire to follow you and to know you and to love you and to serve you. We pray that you will protect him and care for him, watch over him, and may his heart be turned to you always. Father, we pray for Dan and Jess, that you would bless them as parents, this great privilege and responsibility. We ask that your grace would be upon them, that you would give them all that they need to teach Upton and their children to know you and to follow you. We pray your blessing upon them and their home. And Father, we pray for Adeline and Elliot and for Isaac and Oakley as, as big brothers and sisters, 
and ask that you would so bless their lives that they too would walk in your way and be a godly influence and witness to their little brother. May your watchful care and your grace be upon them every moment. Father, we thank you for our little ones. We thank you for the privilege and the blessing you give to us to nurture our children in the faith. And we pray that you will help us as a church to be so passionate about nurturing the faith of our children that we give ourselves, our time, our energy, our efforts, all that we are to um, represent you well to every little one among us. Thank you again for your blessing upon Upton's life. We dedicate him to you for your glory and for the flourishing of who he is. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated.
Good morning. Merry Christmas. Our first scripture reading this morning is found in Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah 7, 1 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Romalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, share Jasub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, and of the son of Romalia. Aram, Ephraim, and Romalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves, and make the son of Tabiel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only Rezin. Within sixty-five years... Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Romalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and join us as we continue in worship together. What hope we hold this starlit night King is born in Bethlehem. Our journey long we see the light that leads to the hallowing manger ground. What fear we felt in the silent age for hundred years and may be found, but broken by your baby's cry, rejoicing.
come forward to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings, please join me in singing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye 
may be seated. into a time of prayer together. Uh, if you would like to come and offer your prayers here at the altar rail, please come and join me. Father, we come today in gratitude for what you've done in Christ. Christ has come and 
human flesh. To be the savior of the world. and Savior of us and all things. We worship you and we give you thanks and we honor you. And we come to you with the burdens, concerns and struggles of our lives and of our world. Fathers, we gather today... There are, I'm sure, many things in our hearts that we find difficult to talk about, difficult to share, and yet you know. And you're at work, and, and you love us in the midst of those things, and, and we, we lay them at your feet in gratitude and confidence that you hear our prayers, and that you are at work healing, restoring, mending, Doing your great work. Father, we pray this morning for all among us who are grieving. And particularly at this holiday time. And ask that you would fill each grieving heart with your loving presence. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling with health concerns. We pray for Daryl Stevenson, Carol Stonemetz, Ben King, Mildred Berry, Doris Esepian, Isla Shea. For Sheldon Emerson, Laurel Bucher, Bill Getty. For Warren and Ella Woolsey, Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck and Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, and others who are on our hearts and our minds today, pray for your healing presence for each of them. We pray, Father, for our nation and ask for your grace of healing where there is conflict and violence and even war. We pray, Father, for our world. We think of refugees and ask that you would help them, particularly at this, at this time of year. We pray, Father, for all who are recovering from disasters and recent attacks. And we pray, Father, for the people of Aleppo. Ask that your grace would bring peace, protection. Pray, Father, for your church around the world. Think of the church in Syria, the church in Egypt, who face opposition, persecution. We ask, Father, that you would protect your people and that you would help your people to be a living witness for you in difficult circumstances. Father, we pray for the church right around us. And today we pray for the Faith Baptist Church in Wellsville and Pastor Dean. And may your blessing and grace be upon this congregation as they serve you and one another. And may your grace be evident in all that they are and all that they do. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the name of Christ Jesus, the one who has come among us to save us, to be the, the, the means of redemption for all of your world. We pray in his name, remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Emmanuel, 
Our New Testament scripture reading is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Following the scripture reading, children ages 2 through 5 are dismissed for Children's Church. Following the tradition of the church, please stand, if you are able, for the reading of the gospel. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. As we sing together, children may be dismissed for Children's Church. Tears are falling, hearts are breaking, how we need to hear from God. You've been promised, we've been waiting, welcome Holy Child, welcome Holy Child. Hope that you don't find our manger. How I wish we would have known, but long awaited, holy stranger, make yourself at home, please make yourself at home. Bring your peace into our violence. Bid our hungry souls be filled. Word now breaking, heaven silence. Welcome to our world. Welcome to our world. Fragile fingers sent to heal us. Tender brow prepared for Lord, tiny heart whose Lord will save us, unto us is born, unto us is born. 
So wrap our injured flesh around you. Breathe our air to walk our song. Rob our sin and make us holy, perfect Son of God. Perfect Son of God. Welcome to Please be seated. Despite what we like to think sometimes... Christmas doesn't take place in a vacuum. There's something in my mind that wants to believe that when you get to the time of Christmas, the stuff of life just sort of goes away for a little bit. And then we we celebrate Christmas, we we engage in this wonderful event, and, and as we do that, it's as though all of the reality of life sort of melts away. But the reality is that if we, that if, if you know, Christmas is anything, it is not the elimination of the reality of life. It's not the denial of the reality of life. It is actually the renewal of life. Christ comes into the middle of real life, real world, real people, dealing with real stuff. And being a follower of Jesus does not does not minimize real life. In some ways, it challenges us even more about real life. And I think that's what we see happening in both of the stories that we've read this morning. In the story from Isaiah, chapter 7, Ahaz, the king of Judah, is faced with a dilemma. The northern kingdom that uh, separated in the civil war years before is joining with the nation of Aram or Syria to attack Judah and to overthrow the government. And, and, and uh, Ahaz realizes that their two armies combined are much bigger than his army. And he feels the threat of that. He feels the threat of his own life. He feels the threat of his kingdom. He feels the threat for his people. And probably he feels the threat of God's people and God's purposes and plans for the world. And the only thing he can think of to do is to do what we always do. When bullies are attacking you, you find a bigger bully. Right? And, and so the, the biggest bully he can see, he can experience, he knows about, is the nation of Assyria. The nation of Assyria is just starting to get itself together, but it's, been proved, it's proven itself to be powerful. And so what he wants to do in response to the threat of Israel and Syria is to call on Assyria and to say, come help us. We'll pay you lots of money. We'll be your, we'll, we'll be your servants. You come and save us. It's the most natural thing in the world to do. When you get to look at the New Testament and the story of Joseph, here's Joseph who spent his life 
as a righteous man. He has followed the law. He's built his reputation. And not in the way that we sometimes think, well, people just sort of build a facade reputation. This is a guy who does everything right. He follows the rules. He, he obeys what God wants him to do. He, he, he sacrifices when he's supposed to. He is a righteous, good man. He's the kind of person you want to be around. He's, the guy, he's a guy of integrity. He's a, he's a guy who you look at and say, you can trust him. This is a, if he says he's going to do it, he'll do it. He's a man of his word. He's a man of, of godliness. And now he's faced with a dilemma. Because Mary has come to him, we assume at least, Mary comes to him and says, and the, uh, says to him, um, I'm going to have a baby. And Joseph knows it's not his baby. And the only right thing to do, the normal thing to do, is to say, I want everyone to know that's not my baby. My reputation's on the line here. And you can, almost, you can guarantee that anybody who knows about this, his family, his friends, they're all saying to him, Joseph, you know your reputation's on the line here, right? You've got to distance yourself from this woman. You've got to make sure everybody knows, I have nothing to do with that. Because otherwise, your reputation that you've spent all your life working on is going to be in shambles. Your integrity is going to mean nothing. Explain it however you want to. People aren't going to get it. And he does the most natural thing in the world. He divorces her. He does it quietly. He's a man of integrity. He's not trying to embarrass Mary. He's not trying to be vindictive to Mary. He's just trying to do the right thing. The normal right thing. And to both of them, God speaks. And he says to both of them, I've got a different plan in mind for you. Instead of doing what comes natural, instead of doing what is normal, I want you to do the unnatural thing. I want you to trust me. I know all the voices around you are saying, this is what you need to do. But I want you to trust me. Ahaz, I don't want you to to make a pact, a treaty with Assyria. I want you to believe that I can get you out of this, that I'm bigger than, than any of these nations attacking you, and I'm bigger than Assyria too. Trust me. I know that in the, in the sense that you, way you live your life and the way the world operates, it doesn't make sense, but trust me. I mean, what is Ahaz doing? He's doing what we always do. You fight power with power. That's the way life works. And to Joseph, the angel comes to him and says, look, trust God. You know, both of them are operating out of fear. In, in chapter Isaiah 7, verse 2, it says that the whole city of Jerusalem, the whole nation of Judah is shaking in their boots. And, and uh, Matthew 1, verse 20 says, the angel says to Matthew, don't be afraid, not Don't be afraid because here I've appeared to you and that would scare you to death like some of the people. But don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid to do what I'm asking you to do even though it goes against everything everyone else is telling you. And it goes against the natural inclination in your mind about what you should do. Trust me. Trust me. 
And we live our lives often in fear. Fear of making mistakes. Fear of what people are going to think. Fear of failing. Fear of being overcome. We all these fears that we live our lives with. Maybe the fear that we'll be found out. And in every instance, God is saying to us, don't operate out of a spirit of fear. Operate out of a spirit of trust. Trust me. And I know it feels unnatural to you. It's unnatural when you, when you read the Gospels and, and Jesus says, don't, don't uh, fight back when people attack you. Turn the other cheek. I know it's unnatural when, when people hate you. To not, to, it's unnatural to love them instead. But this is the kingdom. This is the gospel. This is the calling upon God's people. To trust him. And trusting God doesn't mean shutting off our brains and not using the gifts that God's given us or the abilities God's given us. Sometimes people say, well, I'm just going to trust God, so I'm not going to go to a doctor. Or I'm just going to trust God, so I'm not going to think about this. No, I think God uses our minds and God uses the way he has, he has developed things and the inspiration he's given to people. But in the middle of it, the difference is, it is trust, trusting God always means that even as we use some of the other things that have come to us in the world, we use our minds, God is at the center of it. God is the focal point. We are trusting him. And more often than not, trusting God will mean doing what feels uncomfortable, what might feel a little bit unnatural, what challenges us to do what we deep inside would really rather not do. You know, to trust is, is really only trust when you can see it. We can say, well, I trust God. But if we don't see it, do we really trust God? I think trusting God is only real when obedience follows it. When we can see it. I mean, Ahaz is saying, I trust God. But he doesn't because he makes this treaty with Assyria. Joseph says, okay, I'm going to trust God. And he does. He takes Mary as his wife and changes everything. It's one thing to say, I trust God. It is something else entirely to say, I will do what God wants me to do. This is the message of, of John the Baptist when he's out preaching in the wilderness. And he, um, he says, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Prove it. This is the word of James in his letter. He says, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? So you see, faith by itself isn't, isn't enough. It has to produce good deeds. We're shown right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. And sometimes we think trusting God is just something we do with our minds, but it always comes out in our actions. Do we trust God enough to turn the other cheek? Do we trust God enough to love when we really want to hate? Do we trust God? That question's continually confronting us over and over and over again. 
And God knows how difficult it is for us. He knows how hard it is for us to do what is unnatural and and to do what everyone else is saying we shouldn't do. He understands that. The whole point of trust is that it's it's a choice we make. It's a decision, and it's not easy. And that's why he he says to Ahaz, let me give you a sign. He has this interesting conversation with Ahaz that has confused me for a long time. He says to Ahaz, look, I know it's going to be difficult for you to not trust Assyria and to trust me instead. So let me help you with it. I'm going to prove to you that I can do this. Ask me for a sign. Anything you want. Make as high as the heavens, as deep as the sea. Anything you want. You do it. You want me to make an apple appear in a pear tree? I'll do it. You, you want me to, to, make, uh, to make something you drop go up? I'll do it. You just ask me anything. Nothing's too hard. You ask me for a sign, I'll do it. And Ahaz says, I'm not going to do that. This is a trick question. That's sort of like, are you still stealing from your boss? You know, it's one of those kinds of questions, right? Uh, how do I answer that? This is, this is a trick question. And Ahaz says, I'm not going to put the Lord my God to the test. That sounds like a spiritual thing to say, doesn't it? I mean, Scripture says, we don't put God to the test. And he, he's used saying, I'm not going to test God. And God says to him, Ahaz, you're so faithless. And I think, why? He's doing the right thing. But he's really not. Because the more I've studied this, I've come to see, through the help of others who understand these things more than I do, that what Ahaz is really saying is, I want to make a pact with Assyria. And I realize God doesn't want me to do that. And if I ask him for a sign, he's going to give me a sign. And that's going to prove that God can be trusted. But I really don't want to trust him. But I don't want everyone to think that I don't trust him. And if I ask for a sign and he does it, then I'm going to have to trust him. And I don't want to do that. I want to make a pact with Assyria. Because I really trust Assyria more than God. So I'm not going to do it. It's really a test of Ahaz's faith, not God's ability to do what he says. And so God says, fine, I'll give you a sign myself. A virgin's going to have a child. And when this child is old enough, you will see that what I've promised comes true. And in a sense, God makes that same declaration, that same sign, same promise to Joseph. He says, Joseph, a virgin will conceive. And as soon as Joseph hears those words, he's a good Jew. His mind reflects all the way back to Isaiah 7. He understands this is the same sign. He understands God is saying, I'm faithful. I'll do it. Trust me. It's the grace of God that he continually reminds us of who he is. You know, God's promise, I will be with you, is one of the great promises throughout all of Scripture. God makes that promise to Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob and to Moses and to Joshua and to Gideon and to David and to the whole nation of Israel. And in the New Testament, he makes that promise to Paul over and over again. This is God's great promise. I will be with you. And most of the time, that promise is made in the midst of a struggle, a crisis, a point where people are are wavering. Do I trust God or do I not? And God comes to them and keeps saying, I will be with you. And it's on that promise that God says, you can trust me. But the reality is that promise, I will be with you, 
God with us, Emmanuel, really only makes sense if we understand what's behind it. That that promise is really about the nature and the character of who God is. God is saying to Ahaz, he's saying to Joseph, and quite frankly, he's saying to you and me, when you come to the place of knowing and believing, I am who I say I am, you will trust me. And that's why he gives them the sign. The sign's not the gospel. The sign just points us to God who brings Christ This is, this is the sign to remind us of who God is, that he's faithful, that he's good, he's reliable, he's trustworthy. And really, God with us makes sense only because God has said over and over again that he is for us. And Jesus comes not just to be with us, but to be with us so we can understand that God is for us. That God loves us. That God only wants what is best for us. And that is really the dilemma of trusting God. Is that somewhere in the back of our minds, something back there says that if I trust God in this difficult circumstance, I'm, I'm going to give up something good and have to in turn take on something not so good. That's only because we don't understand who God is. This is the creator of all things saying to us, you can trust me. I made you in my image. I love you. I care for you. And Jesus comes not just to be with us, but to reveal the nature and the character of God who is for us. All the way to a cross. This is God. This is the God who is calling us to trust him. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we celebrate in Christmas. You know, when we think about trusting God, it really boils down to really God asking us to be willing to be vulnerable. Because trusting God is sticking out our necks. I mean, Ahaz is is being asked to really stick out his neck to trust God instead of this powerful Assyrian army. And Joseph is sticking out his neck to trust God and and take Mary as his wife instead of divorcing her quietly and preserving his reputation. I mean, what if this doesn't work out? What if it doesn't happen? And you and I feel that same thing when God is asking us to trust him in these difficult circumstances of life. To love when we want to be vindictive. To give when we really want to keep. To care when we really would rather just live in our apathy. To take that step of faith about the future would really just sort of hang back and see what happens. The incarnation is calling us to be vulnerable. But what makes the difference is that we can be vulnerable with God because God 
is infinitely vulnerable with us. God with us. There is nothing more vulnerable than an infant. God in flesh. Nothing more vulnerable than a baby that cannot take care of itself, cannot protect itself, cannot feed itself. An infant can do nothing for itself. And this is God in flesh. And why would he do that? Because he loves us. Because he wants life for us to be more than our dreams. He wants life to be more than what we can imagine. He wants us to live in freedom and joy and peace and grace. This is the God who comes among us. This is the God who calls us to be vulnerable. The God who is infinitely vulnerable for us. You know, in many ways, both of these stories reveal, give us glimpses of the kingdom. Because in the, in the eternal kingdom, when, when Christ comes the second advent, when he ushers in the kingdom in all of its fullness, our life will be about trusting God. It won't be a battle to trust him. It won't be a struggle to trust him. We will find great delight and joy in trusting him. Because we will know him. And what he's asking of us now is, is to live now like we will live then. It's really God with us now so that we will be with God then. And this is what this table brings us to. And this table takes us back to what God has done in all of his greatness and glory and power and grace. And this table foreshadows what we will experience when we fully understand who God is and what God has done for us in Christ and the joy of life with him. And so as we come to this table this morning... We come to eat and to drink as a sign of trust in God. Declaring that as much as we can, we believe God is who he says he is. And we can trust him. And whatever God may be asking of us, whatever, whatever way God may be calling us to be vulnerable, to trust him, that we will do just that in his grace and mercy through Christ who has come among us, Emmanuel. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ. We pray, Father, that you will help us to to see and to understand and to know more and more of your grace to us in him. Through him. Father, pour out the abundance of your blessing on the bread and the cup we receive. Open our hearts to hear you, to know you, and give us grace to trust you. 
Father, may the bread and the cup be food for our souls. A means of grace. We ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do in remembrance of me. This morning we're receiving communion by the mode of intinction, just means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. Altar rails always open if you'd like to stay and pray. We have trays of bread and cups, and coming to the front is difficult for you. If you simply prefer, we're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the ushers know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. And if you'd like those, just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. This might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, with the desire in your heart to know Christ and to trust Him, and come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father. Instead, they're crazy. 
In this world of sin. 
Please stand for the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.